Well, thank you, Hilton Jen, for having me to um, speak this morning, and I hope I do it um, justice. So, um, so, you know, the scripture that they're uh, using for the series is from Luke 10, verse 27, and I'm going to quote it from the New King James. I don't know what um, uh, scripture, which version they used before, but I'm going to use the New King James. And it says, so he, and I've added in my, my own thing, because the he is an expert in the law, answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now it's interesting that because it says that it's the, it's the expert in the law who answered Jesus. Jesus had asked a question and he answered, but in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it is Jesus who gives the answer and quotes the scripture. It says there, Jesus is the one who, who says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. So out of the two versions, um, it's interesting that one says Jesus says this, and the other one it says it's the expert in the law who said it. Now, um, last week, Colin uh, spoke, and he set up such a great foundation last Sunday, and he noted that this is not, this whole scripture, this, this is not a suggestion, it's a commandment. So to love God with all your heart requires an exclusive, surpassing, obedient, and a persevering love. There were four points, those four points that he made. And basically, if you, see he said, if you love me, Jesus has said, you will obey my commands. You will keep my commands. And so the most important thing is, if we need to show our love to God, we need to know what his commands are. Is that right? We can't obey him, we can't love him if we don't know what his commands are. Now, he ended with Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 to 20, which he said is the key to life. And Moses is speaking there, and he is urging the Israelites to choose. Choose to love God and obey him. It's a choice that we make. Because you are as close to God as you choose to be. Intimate friendship with God is a choice. You must seek it intentionally. So love here is more than an emotion. It's more than a feeling. It's a conscious commitment to the Lord. It's not a feeling. It's something that we choose to do. In the New Testament, as, as Hilt said, Jesus adds, or, or the, the, the law, expert in the law, adds this word that wasn't in the original text where he says to love God with all your mind. So the original text, Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 is what they're quoting, says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, um, so I would ask then, so why do they do that? So the reason I believe is this, um, and the Jews at that time, if you go on to read in Deuteronomy 6, it says then, it, it quotes, there's a quote from Exodus 13 and in Deuteronomy 6, where it expands on that. It says there that they had to wear this, uh, what they call a phylactery, and I'll put some pictures up, which was a small black leather box containing scrolls of parchment inscribed with Hebrew texts. They were verses from the Torah, and these were worn by Jewish men, 13 years and older, at the weekday morning prayers as reminders of God and of the obligation to keep the law during daily life. So every day when they went to prayer, they were continually reminded about keeping the law. 
So it says there that they had to wear them on their forehead and to bind them on their arms. And it's something that they still do today. So you'll see on some of those pictures, even there's a young guy, and you'll see if you go to Jerusalem at the Wailing Wall, they had these little boxes and they bind them on their, on their, on their arms. So why I believe that, that they added this word, the, the expert in the law does, is says it because, and Jesus is particular about it, is because it highlights the difference between religion, the law, and relationship and grace. And the true worship that Jesus is seeking. Because the Jews, particularly the Pharisees, were very prideful in how they meticulously kept the law. They were reminded, that they, they had it all the time, said, look at us. And so, but the way they kept the law was an external obedience to the law. And Jesus kept on about the importance of the condition of a person's heart, that and there was the source of the life that we produce. So even the fact that, that they had to put it on this, this, the law on the outside of their heads, of their minds, they had to wear it on their minds, it was an external obedience. So, in, in, the, in the heart, the idea that the Jews had of what the heart is, uh, they referred to the heart as the center of a person's whole inner life. So according to the Vines Expository Dictionary, the, the heart, when you see it in the Bible, comes to stand for the man's entire mental and moral activity. It is the seat of the rational, intellectual, and emotional life. So it's not about our TikTok, and it's not about just our feelings. It actually consists of our mind, which is our thoughts and our understanding. It's, it, it consists of our will. It's the place where we make our decisions and our choices. And then it also consists of our emotions. We are a tripart. Everything about us is always in threes. We are body, soul, and spirit. And even that in our heart is a threefold because God is a trinity and we are made in the image, image of God. Everything is always in threes. And so there's emotions, which is our, our feelings, and then, uh, and then there's obviously our soul. So this, in that, is that when we, our emotions become in conflict with, our, with, with every part of our heart, when we come into conflict, it will affect the way that we think and the deci decisions that we make. And we're going to look at that a little bit later. So where our spiritual heart controls in all of this, when we see that, it controls our actions, it determines our habits, and in turn, it will determine our character. So when God measures the worth of a man's life, he puts the measuring tape around our heart, not our head. That's why he always speaks. Jesus was so particular about the heart, the condition of your heart, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. But heart and soul are two different things. They're two different words. The soul, your soul is your, the very breath of life that God breathes into you, the man. It, it's, it's he made him a living being. It's your personality. So, and our strength is the ability or the force or power that we exert in loving God. So when Jesus does this, he's deliberately pointing, I believe, to the hollowness and the worthlessness of the Pharisees' worship. I think it's about worship is at the key of what he's doing. See, the Pharisee was saying, look at us, we, are, we have done all this thing. It's about our mind. It's about our head knowledge. And Jesus is saying it's a different thing. And so the key for us is understanding 
this is to know what God expects of us and what we are called to be if we are to worship him with all our mind. So I want to refer now back to the December sermon series because it, therein lies a key because Jesus is always our pattern and our example and we are to imitate him. So the series was unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and it goes on the names about, about God and he's our everlasting father. And so there is a difference between unto us a child being born and a son being given. Given requires a choice. Being born, there's no choice. You don't have anything, it's up to the father. But a son, you become a son and then you have to make a choice to give yourself as a son. So the Vines Dictionary says the difference between believers as children of God and as sons is shown in Romans 8, 14 to 21. And we're not going to read the whole thing, so you can go and look at it. It says the spirit bears witness with our spirit that they are children of God. And as such, they are his heirs and joint heirs with Christ. So it speaks there about our spiritual birth. We are born again. We are born again by God. He is the only one. The Father is the one that enables us to be born again. But on the other hand, it then goes on to say, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. There's a difference between a child of God and a son of God. And these, the ones who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, these and no other. It's a differentiation. So the reference to us, when we are born again, we receive the Spirit of God, a child is born, we become the child of God, so the father, our father sires a child, but the child looks to the father to meet his needs. We're always looking to father, please give me this, give me this, give me this. <clears throat> It's immature. A child is immature and a child needs to grow up. A son is different. A son speaks of maturity and it is to be like Jesus. In the Jewish tradition, you were only, only actually classified as a son at 30 years old, which is why Jesus starts his ministry at 30. And when he's baptized, the, the spirit, and you hear the voice of the father says, this is my son. He took 30 years. So it is to be, when we speak to, of being a son, it is to be like Jesus. So as a son, my life then is to do the Father's will for my life. And because my life has been bought with a price. So uh, my conduct, and our conduct will give evidence of the dignity of my relationship and my likeness my character, how much does it look like Jesus? Am I a son or am I a child? So in Revelation 21.6, it says, he who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. An overcomer will be his son. So knowing and loving God is our greatest privilege. Being known and loved is God's greatest pleasure. See, real worship is falling in love with Jesus. And I'm going to focus a little bit. I know that Colin spoke about worship and defined it. But I'm going to speak about it again because worship and loving God is the same thing. And because worship matters to God, there's always a battle for your worship. See, because every single one of us, we were created to worship God. 
and him alone. That's what we were waiting. And worship, as Colin said last week, he said, is simply about value. Worship is our response to what we value most. Whatever is worth most to you is what you worship. A lot of this is what Colin said last, last week. Now, Satan can't stop you from worshiping. He can't stop worship from happening. But he'll deceive anyone who lets him. So we have been created to worship something, but, and we will choose what we worship. You will either worship God, or you will worship something in the created order. There's no middle ground. If you fail to worship God, you will always find a substitute. You will create other things or people, which as Colin said, are called idols, to give your life to, even if it ends up being yourself. And you are free to choose what you surrender to, but you are not free from the consequences of that choice. So whatever you worship, you will become. You will imitate, you will become like that. Whatever you worship, you become obsessed with. Whatever you become obsessed with, you will imitate. And whatever you imitate, you become. So if you worship money, you'll become greedy at your very, the core of your heart. If you worship stuff, material stuff, your life will become materialistic. It's where you, your value is. It will have devoid of eternal significance. If you give all your praise to the God of you, you'll become deluded with self. You'll become egotistical. But worship requires an act of our will. It's a, always a choice. It's a choice we make, it's not a feeling. So worship is always, when it's a, it's a verb, it's, it's a noun, it's something that we uh, do. It's not just what we say. It's not that we're saying, we, I'm going to worship. I, it's, an, it's an act. It's always an act. It's not about great songs or great musicianship. It's about you, your heart, and your relationship with God. When we come to worship in, on Sundays, the music is just a facility, a way in, a, which aids us to worship. It's about our heart. So worship consumes our very nature. It affects the way that we live our life. So it's not an event. It's not a worship service, an event. It's the attitude of our heart, what's happening in our heart. It's a lifestyle which focuses on the ways of God. This is if we worship God. Well, it will focus on anything that is your God. And it's not meant to be on what I think. So my thoughts, my actions, my reactions are always and often a clear indication of a life of worship or of who I worship or what I worship. See, God needs not just 50% of us. He needs all of us. Worship is our life, our spiritual, physical, and social, and all of us. And that, we can say it another way, heart, soul, mind, and strength is required. And, you know, God is that, and I know that from the, the word, because that's who God is looking for. In John 4, verse 23 to 25, in the message, it says this. But the time is coming, Jesus speaking, it has in fact come. When what you're called will not matter, and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. It's the only people that he's looking for. He's longing for anybody else. That's the kind of people the Father's out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. 
God is sheer being itself. He's spirit. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must do it out of their very being. In other words, out of the very core of their being, that is being, which is called our hearts. Out of their spirits, their true selves, and it has to be done in adoration. When you adore somebody, it means they consume you. And so what does it mean to be in spirit? In spirit means that our worship has to be authentic. It's got to come from the heart. It's genuine and it's heartfelt. And in truth means it has to be accurate. See, it has to be according to the word of God. He has said how we are to worship. It's not what I think. It's what he says. Obey. If you love me, you will obey my commands. So worship, the worship of God and to love him with everything will always come. It flows out of our relationship. And our relationship with God is strengthened by learning of him through his word. Obviously, we will never have a true relationship with him if we don't know what his word says. And our worship, so our worship is no higher than our knowledge of God. So the evidence of your love for him with everything, with all, will be your worship, which is your lifestyle. And the heart of worship is evidenced in surrender, which means a yielding or a submission to him and to his ways. Surrender, surrendering then is best evidenced or demonstrated in obedience, which is what Jesus has said. If you love me, you will obey me. So you can't call Jesus your Lord, which means your master, when you refuse to obey him. And the battle of real worship, which is surrender and obedience, always takes place in our mind. See, we don't have a problem saying, I love God. It's in our mind. Our mind loves God by yielding our will to his holy will. It's when we know what he wants and then we have to, we have to know it here and then we, it, it tells our will has to subject, to surrender to what his is. It is with my mind that I rule my body and my actions to obey Christ. The mind is where the battle is, the battlefield. So the prime, the main example that we have to follow again is Jesus. And I want to say that this is, when we look at the Garden of Gethsemane, it's the greatest example of what it means to worship God with all our minds. This is when we see the son being given. He makes a choice. He's on his way to the cross and he's agonizing in the garden. This is where you can see that sometimes there is the intense battle to love God with all our minds. Because it's not, he's just not sweating like drops of blood. He's actually sweating drops of blood. This is intense struggle. He knows what is set before him. He knows what is ahead of him. But as in his humanity, as a human being, he cries out, is there no other way? Can't I just do it my way? And the answer is no. God has already decided that is it. It's set beforehand. And eventually he comes to a place, he says, that's the battle, not my will, but yours be done. And after however many hours, he comes to that place where his mind is consumed with the plan and the purposes of God. 
that he is able to get his will into subjection to his mind. He is now worshiping God with all his mind. And it, it then puts an action into place where he gets up, he surrenders, and his ultimate worship of God with all his mind, he brings his thought into line with God's and, he, and he's able to act. He gets up, he walks in the direction God wants him to go, straight into the soldiers and Judas the betrayer. And step by step to Golgotha, to victory, so that he can cry out, it is finished for you and for me. Love demonstrated. To love God with all his mind. The Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We have to have the same mind of Christ. Our minds have to eventually be the same as Christ. And Hilton sent me, I think, when they were looking at the series of a definition that they um, used, which was um, uh, really great. And it says this, the mind, an English word translating several Greek or Hebrew terms, is the center for intellectual activity. This is where all our thinking and learning um, takes place. We do it. Loving God with all our mind implies centering your education on him. Learning and growing in our capacity to fathom his vastness, his mystery, just the greatness, the goodness of God. Can you fathom it with your minds? Can you fill your minds with it? See, studying him until we are overwhelmed by his power, his love, his grace, and his beauty. See, everything will bow when our minds are filled with the knowledge of God. Everything. To love God with all your mind is done when your thoughts dwell on him and his holiness, his goodness, his love, his mercy, and his beauty. Nothing else can stand. There is no other name that is above. And so the key to worshiping God with all our minds is the study and meditation of God's word and being Christ-minded, Christ-inside-minded, that we know if we have Christ inside, we have the DNA of Jesus inside of us. But the study, I don't want to say for this church, you have the best faculty of teachers, I would say, in the world. And yet, how many of you are taking advantage of it? Make a decision today. Joshua 1, 8 to 9. Chapter 1, 8 to 9 says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. We love to change the word and say, Lord Jesus, make me prosper and succeed. He says, I can't. Because you don't know the word and you're not, you're not meditating on it. And you're not studying it. Can't help you. Only one half. 
See, what does it mean to meditate? It means to occupy your mind with the thoughts of God. It's to think on. It's a thinking exercise. It's to consider, to ponder upon, to fix and focus your attention upon, to mutter or to talk under your breath. You've got to talk to yourself. In the process of me learning how to do this, sometimes I've got to smack myself on my head. I say, why are you talking like that and why are you thinking like that again? You know what the word says. We have to do that to ourselves sometimes. Because I'm telling you what, sometimes our thoughts, old thoughts start to come here. It's to chew and digest or to revolve in your mind. It's to get, it's like, like a cow that chews on the, and the cud comes up. The word comes up and get more and more out of it. We have to allow the word to massage us, to get deep inside of us. In Colossians 3.16, the message says, let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. Let every detail in your lives, your words, your actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master, Jesus, the Lord Jesus. That means he has the say when he's the master. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it get inside of you. Get inside. Get inside of you. Every single one of us are born with minds that are darkened. That's what it says. There's a veil across us. We have a darkened mind. Sorry about my drawing tab, but we needed a flip chart, but we couldn't find it. Okay, that's our mind. Our minds are darkened. It, and it remains, our mind will remain darkened to the extent that truth fails to penetrate it. Now, most of us live out of a completely darkened mind because we have no word. See, if the word of Christ, of the truth, that's what the word of Christ is, the, the word, the truth is not dwelling in us richly, then we are open to deception and we'll, we'll become our own standard of truth. Meditation allows truth to penetrate all the darkened areas of our mind. See, that's what happens when the light of God's gospel, when the truth of the word comes in, it penetrates, it comes in when we hear the word and we have to hear it over and over and over again, then light begins to take over. We have understanding, we have revelation in an area, but there's often for many of us just a little small little spot there. So without the light of God's word as a lens, everything is warped. The world around us warps. And Satan will do everything to keep your eyes from God's word. Truth cannot be decided by our philosophies. It can only be decided by the word of God. Said two trees, they still exist today. There's the tree of life, which is the word of God, Jesus, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Your forefathers, ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and humanity is still eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which means I will be my own standard. I will decide what is true and what is good and what is evil. I'll make the rules. Which tree are you going to eat from? Every one of us eats from our own, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil unless we have the tree of life. Unless we have the word of God, unless we're eating from the word of God. Lance Warner said, if you don't fill your mind with the word of God, the enemy will fill it with fear, anxiety, stress, worry, and temptation. 
And this morning, it's not my notes, I thought, you know why there's such a high, I believe, such a high prevalence of depression and anxiety amongst young people today? It's because they are a generation that has no word in them at all. Us older people, we had it at school. We, were, we, we, we grew up in a Judeo-Christian society. Today, young people are, there is no, that's finished. So they have no word around them. Put garbage into your mind, you will get garbage out. Put good thoughts into your mind, good actions will come out. In Romans 12 verse 2, in the J.B. Phillips says, don't let the world squeeze you, around you, squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remake you so that your whole attitude of mind is changed. Thus you will prove in practice that the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. In the New Living it says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How's he going to change you? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We are all conformed to the patterns. But he says, don't, let, don't do that. Don't let this world shape your ideas, shape your philosophies, shape how you think. See, but you won't know what is the right path to go on or the way unless you read his word or come and learn from others who do know it better than you. It's a spiritual gift that is in the church of teachers. It's the foundation of the church. You are to be built on the apostles, prophets, and the teachers. If you want to have a good, strong building. Our ability to love God with all our mind will depend on the amount of God's truth and God's wisdom that we know, we exercise, and we apply. It's not just having head knowledge which is what the, 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 uh, the word is, the logos word. It's called a rhema word that we need to, we need to understand. That's why, that's why you need to come to people who will be able to teach you. There's an impartation from the spirit that brings understanding and brings revelation. John 8, 31, 32, the New King James says, if you abide in my word, that means if you hold fast to my teachings, you are my disciples indeed. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That word to know, to know something is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is the Hebrew word yadah, and it means to be intimately acquainted with, to become one with. It's a word that they use actually for sexual intercourse, it's to become one with. The word you have to become one, your body, your heart has to become one with the word of God. When you know that word, and it's going to produce fruit, when you become one like that, he says, then you are my disciples. If it isn't, you're not his disciple. So a lot of people claim to be Christians. The Gallup poll said 50 million, it's probably more than that now, claim to be Christians. But most live any way they want. Mo many people think it doesn't matter what you do or how you live, as long as you believe and you love God. Because he loves you. You know how many times we hear people say, many people say, well, God knows my heart. Well, he does know your heart. He knows what's in there. And you know what? It's not about your good intentions. It's about your surrender and your obedience. The, James, in his book, he argues that the demons are convinced that God exists and the thought of him causes them to shake in terror. 
They are intellectually convinced of the existence of God and they know the word, but their belief does not alter them in the slightest. See, for Paul and James, to believe in Jesus meant to take the belief into every section of life and to live by it. Real faith is visible, apparent, you can see it. Now, so many people suffer from condemnation, and we love to quote Romans 8. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But the word goes on, it says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God. See, the reason why we have condemnation is because we live trusting in ourselves instead of God. We, and we do this because we don't know him. We don't yadah him. We do not have that relationship. We don't, and we don't know what his commandments are. So we can't love him as we are expected to. So our minds have to be reconditioned or renewed by God's thoughts, filled with his thoughts. Our mind, our belief system, our ideas must be governed, determined, directed, and guided by God's through his instructions. That means by his word. If we don't submit our thinking to God's truth, then our minds will be influenced by and will absorb world philosophies and notions without us even knowing it because it's darkened. It's just automatic. Our thinking will be shaped by the patterns of the world and we will say we are Christian, but we will look and live like unbelievers. And you know, I know people come along and say, yeah, well, I went to Bible college and you know, I did that and I did that sort of how many years ago. But you know, 24 for every day, 52 weeks of the year, 365 days of the year, you are being shaped by your friends' opinions, by the world's media. How, many, how much in comparison are you being shaped by the, by the word of God? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets, us, sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You so see, our mind communicates what you think, your emotions communicate what you feel, your will communicates your life. And on the chart, it says, it says who you actually are. And where we have this is, is in our darkened mind also. Deception is most times based on ignorance, not on moral character. It doesn't mean to say that you're a bad person if, you, if, you're living, if, you have, if you are deceived. It's got nothing to do with this. It means you're ignorant. And nothing can remove a lie but the truth. Meditation will allow that truth to penetrate the darkened areas. And you know, once that truth gets into your mind, it will affect your heart. It will affect your whole being. For many of us, there's that, in the other chart I had, there's a subconscious uh, thing that affects the consciousness. And on this chart, it says that we have to get to this place where our mind tells our will what to do, and our will will then affect our emotions. Most people are living the other way around, allowing their emotions because their minds are, not, are, are just not filled with God's word, and then they live their, according to their will, that what they act out is based on those things. It's the wrong way around. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You can't, can't live contrarily to what you believe. Vincent Lombardi said, you are where you are and what you are because of the thoughts that dominate your mind. 
Um, Viktor Frankl said, every freedom can be taken from man except one, the freedom to choose his attitude of mind in every circumstances. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, we demolish arguments, every pretension, false philosophies, every, all these ideas that set itself up against the knowledge of God, we take them captive we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. What does that mean? It means that every thought that doesn't agree with God's word has to come into line and has to surrender. What I believe and what I think, if it doesn't the same as what Jesus is saying, it's got to go. So we need to allow the renewing of our minds to influence our wills. Then bring our emotions into subjection to our will. And when our spiritual walk is based on emotions, See, we are unstable. But God's word is always constant. And an unharnessed mind, a mind that is not controlled by God, is why roughly 95% of the people in the world move aimlessly through life without purpose or direction. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. You know, upon the death of Albert Einstein the genius physicist who formulated the theory of relativity, scientists analyzed his brain. They discovered that he had used approximately 10% of his thinking capacity. 10% of his brain. The average person uses somewhere between 6 and 8% of his, that's all, of your mind's capacity. It only took a little bit extra effort on the part of Einstein, a tiny bit more extra mental effort to produce his brilliant theories, just 2% more. Things that no one else had ever thought about before came from his mind, just a small part of his mind. The capacity for us, for what God wants to do through his church, if we just give our minds to him. God created you with a brain and a mind that has the ability to think and choose its thoughts. And he enabled your mind to exercise willpower. See, the brain has 80 to 100 billion brain cells, and each cell has the ability to store 40 times the entire content of the Encyclopedia Britannica, or Wikipedia, or whatever you want to today. He created your mind for accomplishment, success, and brilliant if you love him with all your mind. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, the message says, every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another. It shows us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. And I wanna encourage you to go home and read Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible but it's all about the word, our heart attitude to it, and how important it is. It teaches us. It says, David, how he had shaped his life and how the word has shaped his life. His total reliance and belief and trust in God to do what he says. Incredible, incredible Psalm, Psalm 119. Go home and read it today. It will teach you how to love God with all your mind. And I want to close today with Psalm 1. Verse 1 to 3 in the Amplified. Blessed, happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable is the man who walks and lives, not in the counsel of the ungodly, following their advice, 
their plans and purposes, nor stands submissive and inactive in the path where sinners walk, nor sits down to relax and rest where the scornful and the mockers gather. But his delight and desire are in the law of the Lord. And on his law, the precepts, the instructions, and the teachings of God, he habitually meditates, he ponders, and he studies by day and by night. And he shall be like a tree firmly planted and tended by the streams of water, ready to bring forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not fade or wither, and everything he does shall prosper and come to maturity. And that is my prayer for every single one of you this year, that you will take every advantage to get the word into your mind so that you can worship God and love him with all, all of your minds.